Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey. Greetings, greetings. Hello, fellers and gals <laughs> from the middle of the country. <laughs> hey, John. Uh, I've got my Johns. I was. I had a whole thing about. I'd go like, "Hello, John," and you both go, "Hello," and I'd be, you know, trying to talk to either one of you, saying "John," <laughs> and then, you know, you both respond at the same time. I thought it'd be hilarious, and then I thought better of it. You know, it's going to be really funny. Well, here's the deal. Today is my 59th birthday. And you guys need to sing happy birthday to me live. Happy birthday you know, to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John, John. Lickman. Happy birthday to, to you. you. Okay, and that was really old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've heard Jamil and Palmer sing, and it's not terribly impressive. <laughs> me that's, either. <laughs> that's how we roll. We're not, not terribly impressive. I'll tell you what is terribly impressive is your fine sponsorship of this show you've been doing this for god knows how long not sure why but uh we really do appreciate it and the listeners appreciate it that you pay for the show so they don't have to and uh that's a very very kind thing that you do and i think the least they can do is go over to blickmanengineering.com check out all the fine equipment there um one of the new cool things that is available from blickman engineering is this new uh uh, boiler maker surface. It is um, a uh, uh, electric coil bonded in a patented way, patent pending uh, 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 to the surface, the bottom surface of the kettle. So when you're brewing and you want to stir or whatever, you're not whacking into your electric elements. <laughs> you're not, uh, you know, um, uh, having to clean around them, you know, disassemble these things. Uh, you know, you just get a nice pot, you know, surface in there. So easier to clean, uh, you know, uh, less intrusive, uh, you know, just just a better all around system. Uh, so, you know, check that out. I think uh, it I think it's it's the way of the future. If you ask me, of course, our our genius uh, resident John Blickman uh, has come up with with that uh, that thing. And that really got me thinking about. Uh, modern uh, brewing equipment and uh, you know modern brewing in general I think uh, you know before we started we were all kind of chatting about how home brewing has changed over the uh, over the years right we uh, I think uh, uh, Palmer was saying you know people used to brew more for you know you couldn't get a beer there wasn't a lot of great beer around so you brewed in volume you brewed you know bigger batches and you, know, you had an IPA on all the time because there weren't a whole lot of IPAs available to you. Now, you know, there's 3,000 IPAs within, you know, spitting distance. And so you're brewing more for creativity or for, you know, the hobby, the love of the hobby versus, oh, I need to, you know, supply the neighborhood with beer. Now, now it's a uh, uh, Blickman, you were saying uh, you go. You know, uh, people have been kind of scaling back. You very rarely see people doing 10 gallon homebrew batches anymore. They do more five gallons, sometimes two and a half. And so I think that syncs up with exactly what John's saying. You know, homebrewing's really morphed over time. Uh, I remember when I started, it was plastic buckets, very simplistic, a lot of old wives' tales as to how you were supposed to brew. And then we started figuring things out. And improving things and then it it grew into you had to have a you know a three-tier system and, and uh you know all grain and you know and then all temperature controlled yes and more and more advanced 
And now it seems like the equipment manufacturers, you know, the, the yeast uh, suppliers, the hop growers, they're all coming up with inventions and creative ways of making your life easier. So people are kind of going like, okay, yeah, I can let the new technology help me brew beer and I can have more fun at it and have an easier time of it is what it seems like to me. Quite a quite an interesting shift. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I know when when we first started, you know, some of these pre-hopped extract kit were all the thing and hardly anybody did all grain. I mean, it's almost unusual to hear something. Those are the crazy, super uh, advanced guys that were doing all grain. And uh, and it's kind of uh, come full circle where uh, a lot of the equipment is, is made all grain brewing super easy. And as you were also alluding to, there's so much more knowledge now mm-hmm. about uh, why we do things, what things to do, what things really don't matter is, is uh, just as important sometimes, I think. And then just people wanting to spend more of the fun time on the brewing and less on the, uh, you know, the cleaning and the maintenance and that kind of stuff. And then um, just get down to just enjoying the hobby because there's, you know, there's great beer everywhere, but we still brew because we enjoy the process, enjoy the art side with the hobby creation, enjoy uh, just tweaking your processes for the engineers and folks that like that. And uh, it's, it's kind of come full circle. It's been interesting to watch over the years. We mentioned like the the transition from uh, three tier to you know uh, single vessel or or um, com- two vessel compact vessel. You know, um, do you see that um, professionally? You know, with your proper brew systems as well, hmm. or is it mainly homebrew? I think in what we're seeing in the nano environment is it's um, you will get some people that do a two vessel system, um, but it's predominantly um, it's still the three vessel system. But you know people aren't doing like we do in uh, homebrew. You're not doing temperature control as far as you know mash recirculation. That's not very common. Um, you know they're just single temperature rests um, and. Uh, um, you're seeing less, at least, you know, we're seeing, you know, things that are simple and fast for the pro, but they have a little bit different, um, you know, outlook on, you know, why they're brewing. They're brewing as a business to make money. Yeah. Um, we brew as a hobby to, you know, you know, from everything from just the social aspect of it to just having your own uh, handcrafted uh, beer on tap. But it was, it's interesting how long it took when we were doing uh, those three tier gravity systems um uh, everybody was terrified of putting wort through a pump right you know that was that was the whole thing oh there's that's gonna ruin my batch and you know even though it's you know hot and you're boiling it um and then all of a sudden pumps became real popular and everything went horizontal but still three systems or three vessel systems and then you saw recirculation becoming uh you know rim systems becoming more common and less coolers uh in it um but with the with the bigger pro systems, there's so much mass there. They just don't change temperature much, so you really don't um, you know need that that setup. But we do see um, systems where you're you're heating the the liquid in the mash ton, and then um, uh, graining in, and you'll also uh, be able to double batch a little bit easier if you you know if you can also have a hot liquor tank. So I started uh, Chris from More Beer. He when I left Heretic and uh, we went out to lunch and he was like, are you going to start homebrewing again? I'm like, well, yeah, I'd like to. He's like, well, how about if I give you um, like a all-in-one, a Brewzilla? They have, they have one in their scratch and dent, dent area. And so he gave it to me. And what I realized is, yeah, just kind of the ease of, you know, an all-in-one system. You know, it's just just pull this one thing off the shelf. And I, instead of the three-tier system that I used before, now it's all kind of in one place. The pump's already integrated. It's all, it's all pretty much there. So I was thinking, well, gee, I could just ferment in this thing too. I don't even have to move the wort out. I don't even have to clean a fermenter. You know, this thing will be sanitary from having boiled uh, wort in it. Do you think that um, the, and this is a question for John, uh, just to make it clear. Do you think <laughs> that... Uh, 
there's going to be more done for that, that maybe that's the next step in the all-in-one fermenter or the all-in-one brewing system, that it, it works as a fermenter as well, that some, some changes or, or tweaks are done to make it even better as a fermenter? You know, we've definitely got people that use it as a fermenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I can definitely see that becoming... Uh, you know, some, some features that could be added. So you don't even have to, to move them. I remember some of the very first um, nano commercial systems were extract systems and you did boil in the, you know, they were electric and you did boil in the, uh, the vessel. And then and you also fermented in the vessel. Um, and that was years ago. Uh, so it's interesting how some of these things, you know, come back. One of the things we're seeing right now is just a lot more simple fermentation devices like, uh, you know, the bucket fermenters and even more simplified conical fermenters, you know, that just don't have all the stuff to, you know, basically take apart and clean. Used to be that you wanted to get it out of your, uh, your boiling equipment so that you could make another batch. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of that, the only thing, you know, there is then you've got your whole brew house tied up fermenting, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see, um, you know, that being a a popular feature to have is, you know, be able to ferment right in that thing. Yeah. And John, what do you think? I think there's a lot of merit to that. Um, I mean, we tried uh, with the anvil, we had the ferment in a kettle uh, product (laughs) line for a while that never really took off. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to people to rack it to a clean fermenter. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing so, you do rack the beer away from a lot of trube mm-hmm. that while trube in general, you know, the, the, the hot break material and all the lipids and so on in that are valuable nutrition for the yeast uh, we, with any, you know, natural process with any food source, you can have too much of a good thing mm-hmm. and promote some off flavors from like too much too much fan, too much lipid, you know, going to the yeast. It's the kind of thing that a, a yeast can adapt to, but mm-hmm. still when we're talking about, you know, fresh pitches of yeast, um, too much, too much fan, too much lipid can produce some off flavors that uh, would be avoided by racking. Yeah. It, the yeast will certainly assimilate the fatty acids, but, um, uh, my understanding is that uh, it will uh, impact staling, and so uh, the the life of your your product won't be as long. I I wonder though, uh, because a lot of the British brewing had, you know, the initial you know forty hours in one fermenter, and then they would uh, drop it to another. They do the the double drop. They drop it to another fermenter to add more oxygen to it and also to leave behind a lot of the troop. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, since I love doing British beers, maybe I'll, I'll start the ferment in the, in the uh, all in one, and then I'll transfer out after 40 hours. Once the yeast is really kicking, uh, give it another dose of oxygen and, and get it off the troop and see what happens. If I get a, a better result because I'm very keen to do the double drop. That's an interesting idea. I was I was doing a, another podcast a couple of weeks ago about open fermentation, and you know you can kind of see the transition in British brewing, you know, with the double drop of, you know, going from open fermentation mm-hmm. to a closed double drop fermentation to today's cylindroconical, where we know we've got to inject this much oxygen mm-hmm. into the mix to for it to complete. Well, and a lot of the. Um you know, the uh, hazy yeasts that are popular today, um, you have to put, a, they're, they're, they're sourced from uh, British strains and you have to put a ton of oxygen in them to uh, get them to really ferment fully. And I think that's, you know, harkens back to their, their life as uh, you know, British yeast being open fermenters, being, yeah. doing the drop, uh, et cetera. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to kind of touch on more of the you know fer- fermentation uh, changes as well, uh, you know, f- f- fermenter tools and yeasts and all that stuff. We'll be back right after this. 
Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, modern home brewing with uh, two of my favorite Johns, uh, John Palmer and John Flickman. And uh, uh, we were just talking about you know, British fermentation, fermenting in an all-in-one. You know, one of the things that uh, I've seen and I, I've, I've been interested in for a number of years, and now I'm starting to see them show up in the in the pro uh, area, is these little um, uh, devices that you drop into your fermentation and they transmit a signal telling you the specific gravity of the of the of the batch. Have you guys used those? I haven't uh, like these digital hydrometers, uh, mm-hmm. ferment, you know, bug ferment bugs or whatever their you know product name. I, may be. Yeah, I think, I think uh, there was one. The, I think one of the first ones is the brew bug. I think. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And then the the tilt came the out, tilt. and then the Play-Doh. Yeah. So very familiar with them. I've not used them. I'm also not, I'm also the guy that never opens the top of the fermenter to look at it. Right. <laughs> and there's uh, another one somebody was coming out with, which was a, a digital airlock, which didn't go in the beer. It just monitored monitored the and measured the amount of CO2 coming out. Yeah, isn't that the Play-Doh? Oh, maybe. Is, yeah, um, I think that's what that how that one works. Yeah. Uh, which I'm I'm with you. I don't like dropping anything into into the beer. You know, once once it's uh, once it's going, um, but uh, and I never got into it because I like taking a sample, getting a pH, things like that, because the pH is quite important as well uh, to track in, uh, especially in commercial brewing. Um, do you think anything that this is going to continue? I see more and more people talking about it and saying they're using it. Um, I've seen some people say they don't work that well because they get, you know, uh, the 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 the, the uh, hoof, uh, you know, builds up on them during ferment and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, makes them read uh, incorrectly. But I've also seen um, things track pretty pretty closely. They say just kind of at the end, it's a little bit off, but not that far off. It kind of tells mm-hmm. you when you're getting a stable reading, you know, yeah, it's probably done fermenting. You know, I would kind of think that that just having that information that things are progressing, whether or not it's Mm. it's accurate. I mean, you would be able to tell, okay, it's, you know, it's past high Croizen and I can do this part of my process. I can add hops at this time, you know, because I'm pretty sure I'm past high Croizen and you don't have to open up to see if things have fallen or any of that other kind of stuff. Using a glass carboy, you can just see it, but. Well, that's why I like glass. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, uh, what's 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 happening in in fermenter uh, technology? Um, is that going to be? And again, this is a question for John. You know, are, are we going to start seeing like glass cylinder conicals? <laughs> are we going to start seeing, uh, you know, uh, you know this this uh, digital uh, hydrometer technology built in? Are we going to see? I I think you mentioned uh, previously that. Uh, we're now seeing pressurizable uh, or pressure vessels for the cylinder conicals. Can you talk more about that? 
Yeah, we did the well, one of the very first, you know, other than converted kegs, um, the Cornicle is a product that we came out with a number of years ago. We actually did uh, some pressure fermentation tests, uh, Chris White and I, on, you know, the, um, you know, having, you know, a traditional uh, lager, uh, you know, at cold temperatures, a um, room temperature, and then three room temperature fermentations, one at zero bar, you know, atmospheric pressure, one at one bar, and then another one at two bar. And, um, you know, there was definitely differences uh, in the flavor, and both analytically and and just tasting right. uh, of the three beers. And it really turned out that about one bar uh, seemed to make the closest to a lager profile. But it was interesting, it, they were so low, almost, you know, had hardly any diacetyl in them. Um, it it almost tasted a little too clean. It's almost like a, they uh, they didn't have some of that body that um, uh, the diacetyl can uh, perceive mm -hmm. as. Mm -hmm. um, so we've we've seen some of those, and then we've seen a lot. You know, most of the cylinder conicals you'll see now are uh, are pressure capable. Um, you know, SS uh, spike. You know, we've got one, um, and uh, more beer does as well. Um, the and, and those are like at one bar, um, which is about, you know, fine for where, where you want to be for uh, for those pressure fermentations. Um, but we've also then seen on the east side where um, they've got yeast, uh, like the Kavite mm -hmm. yeast and others that really produce a fairly close uh, representation to the lager profiles. Um, and then some of the, you know, some of the other products, um, you know, we've got in our Anvil line. I'm um, just very simple to clean uh, products mm -hmm. that, um, you know, they're, they're pressure capable to, you know, a PSI or so, you mm -hmm. know, pretty low. enough, enough to do, uh, you know, Transfers. a CO2 transfer. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, in, in general, I'm, I'm a fan of just letting gravity do its thing and not going out of your way to uh, introduce oxygen into the system. But um, I'll tell you this gravity's doing its thing on me that's for sure <laughs> i can tell yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah the the lalaman has the, their nova lager out now which is um you know they, they get it they, it's interesting uc davis has a i don't know some way of getting yeast to not produce any sulfur or very minimal sulfur and then it also you know, this stuff works, you know, they've, they've bred it. It's not GMO. They've bred it to, you know, produce a clean lager like uh, products, you know, at higher temperatures, you know, wider range of temperatures mm -hmm. and, you know, to, you know, very low uh, VDK, uh, you know, extremely low sulfur. And so it seems like a lot's being done with that. Um and I think, you know, what kind of sparked that was the whole Kvike yeast thing where everybody wanted to start doing using those to make loggers. And then it's kind of like, that's eh, not quite a logger. And so I think, you know, the some of the, the the yeast producers are starting to look at, well, how can we make a, you know, a better warm temperature, you know, logger experience? So I think it's fascinating that, you know, all these areas are are kind of moving forward. Another one that that I picked up at the at the homebrew conference, which uh, John and I were at in uh, in San Diego, uh, was uh, this little bad boy here. Uh, oh, yeah. Soft brew BR eight. It is. It's, um, it's Brett, dried Brett. I mean, interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, they were saying it took them quite a lot of uh, uh, experimentation and work to develop uh, the ability to dry bread and uh, produce that. So, um, you know, for people around the world where shipping liquid is, is not the best idea, um, you know, now you get the dry packs. And uh, I think that's tremendous. Um, that's, a, that's a huge, huge change uh, forward. You know, there's a lot more yeast being available dry. I mean, look at the strains that, that are available today. Uh, compared to um, when uh, John and I started, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, pretty much started around the same time. I don't know, 
It um, came in the it came in the can with yeah, the it was, dust, it was, with the it, dust on top. It was stuck. It was stuck to the lid of the can, right? Yeah, yeah. You had your Australian, your English, the American, and uh, you know Belgian. Those, those were the yeah, it, was it was just yeast. It did yeah. at that time, and then yeah, they started doing that, and you you could have your choice of two or three different yeasts, and uh, yeah. And then it kind of got up to like eight. And now it's, you know, they're coming out with a huge number. I'm sure they have just a few of them that are the bulk of all their sales, probably like, you know, USO5 or, you know, that's pretty much that clean ale yeast is probably the thing for everybody. But it's interesting that they're really pushing the boundaries now and not just doing more of the standard brewing strains, but now they're doing things like Brett, which is uh, really cool. It opens up a, a wide uh, range of stuff for, uh, for brewers these days. Yeah, and it's really, it's really been interesting to watch how the dry yeast, which were, you know, considered, you know, very much inferior to the liquid, uh, pure cultured uh, yeast, how they really have become, especially in the nano environment, um, you're seeing a lot mm -hmm. of brewers, we see a lot of brewers that are using um, uh, the dry yeast and not repitching re the yeast or, or not very frequently repitching the yeast just for the economy and the ease of use and ease of storage. Yes. And, and the varieties uh, that are they're coming out with are just, you know, pretty amazing the different uh, dry yeast varieties that are out there now and how they've improved the quality of the um, and just the purity and the uh, viability of those yeasts has been pretty interesting to watch yeah i think we're going to continue to see that we're going to see more uh, dry yeast strains tailored for specific styles um and uh yeah I, i've known you know it'll it'll keep on evolving it'll be a surprise each year i think what's new and available yeah they've really been you know pushing the boundaries and pushing the technology um you know gone are the days where you know you kind of had a, you had to put up with a bunch of bacteria in your yeast and uh yeah. you know, half of it died when you when you poured it into your into your work um now they're getting uh you know really good survival rates just direct pitching dry yeast i still like to you know uh rehydrate rehydrate you know kind of proof my yeast to start i do that out of habit too yeah i even i even do it for winemaking you know rehydrate it that's right it's it's so easy you know it's it's not as difficult as as people think but uh yeah it adds, it adds joy really... to the hobby right you know and I, always, I, I you see like the two extremes people that i just want to make something that is good palatable beer and I want to do it as quickly and easy as possible. And then you've got the, you know, the other extreme, which is, you know, people wanting to, you know, do it like, you know, the old style and the traditional lagers. Um, and, you know, they do make, you know, just great, very good representations of the traditional lagers. But it also takes several, you know, weeks to do that. You got to have the patience for that. Um, you got to enjoy having the equipment to do the temperature control. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of space and stuff involved with doing some of that. So it's, you know, to me, it's what, what are you really getting out of the hobby? And to remember that this is a hobby and you don't always have to do it the way the pros do. And, you know, if you, you know, for example, if you just want to make a, you know, a nice uh, German Pilsner, and you're okay if it's, you know, not exactly as clean as it could be if you did it traditional way, but it's good for you, then, you know, by all means do that, you know, and just recognize that it's not going to be perfect. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Blickman, I think your mic is rubbing against your face oh. there. Give there we go. Screen. Sorry. There you go. That's all right. Um, well, and, uh, John Palmer, you uh, edit the, uh, the the material NBA, for TQ, yeah. right? Um, and have you seen anything interesting? Uh, new new technologies, kind of you know, new uh, science that's uh, coming down the the pipe for everybody. I think. Well, we're seeing we're we're 
seeing new uh, digital technology coming into the industry, um, <clears throat> you know, ways to improve the efficiency of brewing operations, uh, better monitoring. They're talking about incorporating uh, AI into the decision making. But a lot of it really rolls back to we just have a better understanding today of what the yeast are trying to do and what they need to do it. Charlie Bamforth just put out a great article in the JIB uh, about, you know, uh, making a case for no, no long lagering. There's, there are ample technical um, alternatives to long maturation. We can clean up the beer in the fermenter uh, with various, you know, enzymes like ALDC uh, for diacetyl and stuff. Um, we have a better understanding of, you know, warm maturation versus cold. Uh, just a whole, you know, list of reasons why we don't need long lagering times anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that kind of understanding of what it is that we're trying to do it kind of is going to inform uh, our our home brewing techniques as well as our nano and craft brewing. That's yeah, fascinating. Uh, you know the progress that's being made. One question I have is, you know, what have you guys seen in in progress in hops? Let's let's do this. Let's take another short break, and when we come back, I want to I want to talk about uh, what's happening in the in the world of hops right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Talking with uh, two of my favorite Johns right here. Uh, John Blickman, uh, proud sponsor of the, uh, the uh, Brew Strong on the Brew Network. And uh, John Palmer, my dear friend and uh, co-author on uh, uh, Brewing Classic Styles. And, you know. 15 years we're doing this show. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Uh, so before the break, uh, I, had, I had mentioned, uh, you know, hops, new hop stuff. When I was at uh, the homebrew conference in, in San Diego, uh, I saw, um, I, have, I have the pint glass. I forget the name. Uh, I've got his card here somewhere. Talking about uh, new hop products. One of the things... Uh, ah, here it is. Uh, Blue Lake Hops, Adrian Cook. He was uh, showing me how they have a um, figured out a way to kind of cryopack the fresh hops. So they take the fresh hop harvest. And a lot of the ones I've seen in the past, if you just take fresh hops and you freeze them and you try and use them later, you end up with a slimy, nasty mess of, you know, plant matter in your beer. It doesn't work. And but he showed me this this preserved bag of hops, and it felt to me exactly like fresh hops do. Um, it, it seemed to have all of the same moisture, the same you know feel of the of the cones, and so I was I was pretty pretty intrigued. And then I know you know uh, commercially. Um, you know, Hopsteiner, they were coming out with a bunch of different things and Yakima was coming out with a bunch of different things. Uh, you know, they're, they're taking the hops and separating out all the kind of components of the hops. So if you want more of, you know, the alpha acid, you know, for bittering and, you know, you can use just that, or you want, you know, these aromatic oils, you can use just that, or you can use every little part of the hops uh, separately. Um, have you have you seen much of that uh, in in the in the in the journals in the in the technical quarterly or uh, you know have you seen uh, you know uh, the hop rocket was something you know John Blickman came out with you know uh, quite a while ago. Or is there new equipment coming to process hops or there there are um, especially at the nano level nano and craft you're seeing uh, more devices to help uh, dry hop with less oxygen ingress. 
Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, whether they're, they're, you know, like airlock systems or hop cannons that blow the, blow the hops in or drop them in under a purge atmosphere. We're seeing, yeah, we're seeing lots of hop extracts these days, different types of extracts. As you say, you know, they're able to separate uh, groups of components, the, the oils, the beta acids, the alpha acids. And I think, you know, in terms of popular styles, hazy IPA, West Coast IPA, um, it's really helpful in terms of economy and saving money with uh, just raw hops to be able to use extracts to get that base bitterness that you need mm. or to put in um, a signature, you know, note, you know, hop oil note that you need, that you want rather than trying to achieve it with massive dry hopping. And then of course, losing some of that character to the waste green matter that comes out of the beer, you know, before packaging, understanding those, uh, those balances is, is uh, where a lot of, research has gone in the last you know 10 years thiols are another huge area of innovation with hops that's that's the hot topic these days you know releasing thiols from hops mm-hmm. um, and using that to generate more fruity character in the beer mm-hmm. we have thiolized yeasts or you know yeast that have been uh, uh, bred or you know created to uh, have the enzyme to break off and degrade those thiols into uh, aroma compounds. Interestingly, uh, the gra- the malt and the grains themselves are a much larger source of these bound thiols than the hops are. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if you don't put in hops that contain uh, thiol, thiol precursors and you use those yeasts, you'll still generate lots of fruity character because the uh, the thiols from the grain will react the same way. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of, I think, innovation in hop products that we're going to see. I think, you know, we've, I think we all heard at uh, Homebrew Con and other recent events that West Coast IPAs are kind of making a comeback. We really rode the hazy craze for a while, and everybody's looking back to the drier, more, uh, more bitter uh, IPAs as, you know, as a change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll that'll continue to swing back and forth. We're also seeing a lot more lagers being produced these days. At the re- recent World Bear Cup, I think uh, German Pils was, um, I think, the second highest category mm-hmm. behind IPAs. Right. So yeah, it's really coming on. Yeah, uh, we're gonna. I think we're gonna see more interest in those mm-hmm. more targeted hop products to those to that and similar styles. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think, John? I personally have been uh, heading back towards some of the, you know, the West Coast IPAs just for that dry crispness. And also just back to plain old American pale ales like I brewed when I first started brewing in the 90s. And, uh, and then also trending towards a lot of the, you know, just maltier beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the beer that I've been brewing has been just a classic old American amber. Yeah. In fact, I use the recipe that you guys have in Brewing Classic Styles, and it's it's just absolutely perfect representation. You know, it's not an over hopped or an over, uh, you know, an, an over crystal malted uh, uh, pale ale. You know, it, it's its own style, and it's it's just a great, easy to drink beer. And then um, there's been um, a big resurgence, or not resurgence, but an actual, you know, market that's been developing for non-alcoholic beers or very low alcohol right right you know and and that's just nice i mean so you can have a you know two or three pints in a night and uh not have all the carbs and you know have motivation after uh dinner to actually do something (laughs) yeah they have uh they have a yeast um uh what is it uh na na1 or something like that that uh only ferments the glucose and does not ferment the uh the maltose and so you get just a, a touch of fermentation when when we experimented with non-alcoholic you needed a little bit of fermentation character in there for it to taste like a beer otherwise it just tastes like malt water yeah <laughs> um, so you know that's that's another new thing that's coming out 
Um, uh, John, you heard John mention uh, about too many Johns. People, people <laughs> wanting to. You can't have too many Johns. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, that uh, you know, people were finding out new ways to dry hop, excluding as much oxygen as possible. Um, is you think there's something in the in the future of homebrew? You know, maybe a different version of the hop rocket or something that uh, you know, some device that you com completely flush the 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 oxygen from your hops and then transfer them into the fermenter some way. Is there? We actually have a product, and it's called the Arominator. <laughs> the Arominator. All right. <laughs> had to come up with that aider, and we had a new product. Yes. So we got to have a product that can use the aider end again, Ferminator, all, right. uh, all that right. kind of stuff. But um, and and it does just that. It's um, uh, it's got a clear top on it, so you can see that all the hops have fallen, and it's got a purge port at the bottom, so that mm -hmm. you can purge all the oxygen out of the hops after you put them in. And then, you, and then a valve that you open, and then it will uh, uh, dump the, the hops out. And it's got a little purge port at the top. You pull a little D-ring, and it'll, it'll let the air and oxygen out as you're, as you're purging it. You know, so it's not a pressurized, depressurized. You know, you're actually just flushing the oxygen out and, and dropping it down. Nice. Um, so, and uh, uh, that's a product we've had for a year. Does, does it have a little self-destruct button, too? <laughs> we can put one in there <laughs> if something happens to the first one does another one come from the future and uh and show up oh it does but th it's a much friendlier one oh, that comes okay. that comes the second time or is that the third time i can't remember how many of those they had but <laughs> well and uh steve hiller uh if you if you listen live to these shows you can uh, participate on facebook on the the Burry network page and you see the video playing, you can just go to the uh, the comment section and you can ask your questions or comment on what, what you're hearing right there. And Steve Hill was, was uh, mentioned, you know, West Coast Pilsner seems to be the end thing. Uh, you know, essentially what uh, John was saying. See, I think everybody knows who I'm talking about when I say John. I think it, it's, it's just very self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, you know, 100%. Uh, you know, people were wanting to brew, you know, German style pilsners and you know, get that clean. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people really need to work on the fermentation. But, you know, a lot of places are doing an excellent job of it. And then it was kind of like, OK, well, I really like this, but I also like the, you know, the hoppiness. And so we're seeing a lot of West Coast pilsner type of things uh, around where I live. Uh, it seems to be one of the things everybody's kind of keying in on. So, um, you know, that has really finally come to pass in the market. I mean, people talked about that for at least a decade. <laughs> it's a thing. Oh, it's the next great, great thing. Yeah. It's like, but then they snuck a New England IPA in there uh, on us. So, um, yeah. Jamal, I have a question for you. What is the difference, in your opinion, between a cold IPA and a West Coast lager? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I get that question quite a bit, and I, I was answering it uh, the other day. I really don't think there is much of a difference. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, uh, Rick at Stereo Brewing, an excellent brewery down uh, near down near Anaheim. If you ever down visiting Disneyland, you got to get get yourself out to Stereo. The guy is uh, a master brewer and doing really a wonderful job with everything he brews. And uh, I was asking, he had a, like a cold IPA. I'm like, okay. So I posed the question to him. I, I'm like, what's the difference between that and like an IPL? And he's like, yeah, it's just better marketing, you know, <laughs> better marketing. And I think some people, someone claimed to have invented, you know, cold IPA. I think it's just, you know, people have been doing kind of India pale loggers for a long time. And I think it just was a terrible name. Nobody really kind of, it just never caught on. And then cold IPA kind of caught on. I, I assume some people are just cold fermenting using ale yeast. Some people use a lager yeast. Uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the, the definition exactly is, but I 
I recently read some some stuff about somebody claiming that they invented it and they were angry at everybody else or I don't know what it was. <laughs> like the black IPA thing that it it was such an oxymoron that yes. that always kind of was just a weird name. Right. I think you know naming really is important. And I think, you know, by changing IPA to IPL, I think that kind of did something negative. <laughs> you know, New England IPA works because it's got IPA in the name. And, you know, I think cold IPA works because it's got IPA in the name. And people are looking for IPA. And if you can give them any variation of IPA, great. They just need IPA in the name. Right. What, what do you guys think as far as, you know, what, what, John Palmer? What do you, what's your definition of cold IPA versus IPL or just a, you know? My understanding of cold IPA is that it's a, it's a cream ale that's been hopped to IPA levels. So my understanding is there should be 25%-ish of, you know, corn, corn or rice adjunct in it uh, to lighten the body. And then you can either do it you know, lager, uh, ale yeast fermented cold, lager yeast fermented warm, mm -hmm. um, you know, either way, or, and then West Coast lager, IPL. The IPLs, you know, of 10 years ago, I never cared for them. They are always too sulfury uh, for me, but I've had some West Coast lagers recently that have been quite nice. Um, and I think it's because they've moved away from the strictly noble hops where to get, you know, mm. 60, 70 IBUs out of noble hops, you just had so much green matter and mm. uh, really sulfury mm -hmm. hop character that I just, I think it ruined the beer. Whereas mm. if you go with higher alpha hops, some of the newer hop varieties that have less sulfur character to them i think you get a cleaner beer mm -hmm. yeah i don't think I'll, I'll tell you this a lot of people are not brewing a cream ale and putting corn in it and all that stuff they're they're just you know kind of either using lager yeast or going cold on their ipa fermentation and and that's pretty much it yeah okay the majority of people it's an interesting i i, I think I've, I've heard exactly that what you're saying about the cream ale though Let's see, uh, Glenn Henry from um, uh, Norway. He says, hi, greetings from Norway. Have you tried drip hopping? Not sure I know what that is. Uh, drip hopping mean like the, the dogfish method, dribbling right, them the in over the course of the boil? Where they would take the, uh, the little football game that vibrates, the little vibrating table. <laughs> <off of there. laughs> it's continuous, continuous dry hopping. I guess um, it's a little auger that feeds it. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, although, uh, or is he really meaning that in the dry hopping form hmm. as opposed to the boil end? Oh, what was there's a, another technique um, that Denny and Drew were talking about. What was that? Taking a portion of wort and steeping the hops uh, in it, yes. and then adding that back. Dip hopping is a technique for brewing beer that involves steeping hops in warm water or wort in the fermenter. The technique was developed by brewers at Japan's Spring Valley Brewery in 2012. Dip hopping can help accentuate pleasant hop aromas while suppressing hop, hop off flavors. It can also maximize the aroma properties of hops without adding to bitterness. Uh, some general steps for dip hopping. Steep yeah. hops in warm water or wort in the fermenter. Transfer chilled wort into the fermenter to combine with the hop tea, pitch yeast. Um, I can tell you, I, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, and, and the reason why is um, I, I do not like beers that have been fermented with the hops in them. You just extract so much of uh, kind of a harsh uh, bitterness. It, 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 when we were working on um, uh, hazy IPAs, we, you know, everyone's like, oh, no, you have to have the hops in there for biotransformation. And so we tried hopping the same wort, dry hopping the same wort, you know, at the start of fermentation or 
after fermentation had completed. And everybody preferred the after fermentation completed. One, you don't get as much uh, volatilization blow off of, of your hop compounds from, from the active scrubbing of the CO2. And two, you don't, you're not leaving all that hop matter. When you stir that stuff up and you keep it in contact, it extracts, you know, just terrible stuff from, from the, the leaf matter. And nobody liked it in blind tasting. So I, I would never do it. That's my, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't think you want hop leaf matter in fermentation. I think you want it in the whirlpool when you extract all the compounds that you want. Um, leave it behind. Yeah. And then leave the green stuff behind. And then you can add it at the end. Um, and it sounds like dip hopping, um, you if you're if you're steeping the hops in wort or warm water at 160 degrees Fahrenheit, that sounds like what people are doing with whirlpool hopping these days. So you cool your wort down to, you know, 175 Fahrenheit, or you know, if you want to do it 160, you do 160, add your add your dry your hops to it circulate it in the whirlpool and then draw off the, the the clear wort into your fermenter you've now you've removed all those hop compounds from the hops you've got it in your fermenter and you've left behind the green matter that is the problem in fermentation i think and so um i mean that that certainly works so i just don't understand why is he talking about doing it after fermentation like no, they're, toward, they're, towards the end or towards the beginning like after high croissant or before they're talking about doing it before fermentation so you take your oh maybe well yeah maybe because that sounds a lot like just a, a hop stand at 160 degrees or whatever but it'd be interesting you know if, if you're doing that after high croissant then you're getting a decent bit of those compounds i'm, I'm not sure how much of the super valuable fall volatile compound you'll um, lose in right. you know 160 degree 140 degree steep but then if you do that after high croissant um you know and you put your hop tea in um it'd be interesting to see if if that's what they're talking about here's here's what uh here's a little bit more on their findings so um the findings show that a low temperature hop addition in between the whirlpool and dry hop additions in the fermentation vessel created a distinct effect. Fruity and tropical qualities derived from linalool and geraniol were amplified, but piney and dank myrcene related flavors were suppressed. Additional effects of dip hopping noted by the Kieran team were increased fermentation rate due to a reduction in dissolved CO2. Oh yeah, you just stir off your CO2 and reduced levels of uh, an onion-like off flavor, which was attributed to decreased hydrogen sulfide levels resulting from CO2 purging con conducted during the dip hop addition. Uh, like whirlpool hopping, dip hop additions help preserve volatile aromatics and like dry hop additions, the extended contact in the fermentation vessel creates opportunities for biotransformation. In a nutshell, hops are added to the fermenter before fermentation begins, typically a rate of uh, three-quarter to one pound per barrel. Dip hops uh, can be slurried with water or wort at a similar temperature to whirlpool additions, 150 to 170 uh, Fahrenheit, um, and left in contact for 60 minutes or longer prior to pumping in cooled wort and pitching the yeast. So it's before uh, fermentation. Um, yeah. It sounds like you'd lose a lot of that just from... CO2 scrubbing during fermentation. So it sounds like it is um nice that you don't have the green stuff. Well, no, this includes the green stuff. Oh putting the whole thing in there. This is essentially a fermentation hopping, but before you add the wort, you're first mixing it with some hot water. So yeah, first wort hopping and then into the fermenter. Yeah, I mean they're they're putting the hops in the fermenter, mixing it with 160 degree Fahrenheit water, and then putting the the cold wort in, and then I'm pitching the that. yeast and fermenting. So interesting. I was assuming they were separating it. I mean, perhaps it has some sort of effect on it, but yeah, I would just add it to the whirlpool. I see no difference in that versus adding it to the whirlpool and uh, removing the hops from the whirlpool adding the the clear wort 
I mean, they say they're getting a difference, but the difference seems to be attributed to agitating the the or you know, causing how how is it breaking out CO2? It must be well from the particulate matter or from unless you're adding it once fermentation's begun, but that's not what it's saying. So hmm. interesting. Yeah. Uh, Brennan is saying it's a big pre-fermentation dry hop that is steeped on a small portion of the batch, uh, 160 degree wort. Should be an alternative to dry, to dry hopping to avoid hop creep. Uh, you're, you're not going to get the same effect uh, as dry hopping with this technique. I can guarantee you that. That is, it, it just is not going to happen. Dry hopping is is very unique. Uh, nothing replaces dry hopping. I think the the thing about dry hopping and hop creep, yeah, that that's the interesting question though. Good job bringing that up. Let's take uh, one more quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, wrap up with some some thoughts right after this. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We just had a, a rousing uh, discussion of dip hopping, and uh, you know, of course, like like usual, I am just poo pooing the whole idea. It uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds complicated. <laughs> uh, it, would, it would take work. I don't know. Uh, I view it as, hey, can that be another gizmo that I could fiddle right, with and design? Right. That's the fun part <laughs> for yeah, me. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, I just don't like uh, having a whole bunch of hops mixed in with my yeast. And, uh, and, and from, you know, for even as a homebrewer, I would always harvest and, and repitch my yeast. So I'm not keen on having a whole bunch of hops mixed in with it because that just causes all yeah, viability problems. And I'm not a big fan of having them in for, you know, seven yeah, for days. The it gets such a grassy character to them. Yeah. I've, I've noticed, you know, just get them in there and get them out as quickly as, as you can. Yeah. 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 Well, there you go. Um, now I'm going to have to read up on this. Yes. It's, it's, it's for, it's for dips, uh, <laughs> dip hopping. No, no. <laughs> the uh, dipinator, the dipinator, the dipinator, <laughs> new product. You heard it here first. Expect the Dippinator uh, on, on store shelves uh, by, by Christmas. Christmas. There you go. <laughs> um, can people have a discount code to get their Dippinator at a discount if they order five of them before Christmas? Yes. There you go. It's dip for five. Dip for five. <laughs> five dips. Uh, cool. Uh, all right. So what what haven't we covered off? Uh, what what uh, what sort of uh, technology is coming down that that we haven't covered off well we haven't talked about malts mm, right right and malts are being you know uh bred to have less uh precursors you know dms precursors mm. um they're being bred to have less haze problems or more haze problems yeah that too <laughs> Um, certainly the, uh, the enzyme, you know, there's still very high, high in enzymes, uh, diastatic power, mm -hmm. but I think we're going to, we're, they are trying to move or find, uh, malts that have better shelves, better inherent shelf stability for the beer. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one thing that's coming down the pipe. Well, and it seems, it seems like, um, you know, in the past, malt was produced by and for the the big brewers, and that was really the the focus. And then it it started shifting a bit towards more, uh, you know, the craft brewer. And now it seems like they're coming out with <clears throat> new products, really targeting the craft brewer and the home brewer. Yeah. And gluten sensitivity mm -hmm. is recently entered my life, and. Uh, I had the opportunity to to try some gluten-free beers brewed with uh, millet, uh, buckwheat, oats, and forget what else. Mm -hmm. But um, very 
very palatable. I mean, you got to get over the fact that there's, they don't taste like barley because there's no barley in them. Mm -hmm. Um, And you got to set that aside. But once you set that aside, they really are cereal based beer like beverages that are very palatable, especially, I mean, I had a double IPA that Mm -hmm. was, you know, every bit of all the merit of its own thing uh, compared to say Pliny. Is that, Um, is that, you know, preferable for some reason versus using like Brewer's Clarex? Yes. Um, Because unfortunately they have found that Brewer's Clarex, while it does break up the molecule that uh, is detected by the antigen tests that are currently used to decide whether something that contains gluten or not. Um, It doesn't break it down to the extent that a a truly uh, gluten sensitive or celiac disease person needs uh, to not have a reaction. Hmm. So, um, and there's, there's there's a spectrum of gluten sensitivity uh, sure. to you know anything you know from like people who are lactose intolerant and you know mild discomfort mm-hmm. from drinking milk same thing with gluten to mm-hmm. you know someone that goes into anaphylactic shock because of drinking something with gluten mm-hmm. uh, in my own case i've noticed that i experience mild stomach discomfort you know when judging or having a pizza you know large uh portion of, of i just power through it you know yeah stay close grab to the, the shitter. Pepto, <laughs> chug it down yeah you know the the pizza i ate last night i mean you know yeah. nothing was going to stop me from consuming that yeah but you know the whole the whole area i guess in terms of malts mm-hmm. and new malts made from uh gluten-free cereals mm-hmm. is i think is another area we're, we're going to see uh, a lot more uh, development in the near future. Interesting. And I think, you know, they, these beers truly deserve their own styles. We mm. shouldn't say that this is a gluten-free, you know, um, German Pilsner. No, it is, it's its own thing. Mm. Um, and we, gotta, we kind of got to get a, away from that, that we're trying to say, oh, it's the next best thing to a Pilsner. Mm-hmm. It's its own grain-based, you know, perhaps yeah. millet-based beers. Yeah, yeah. They Versus. should have their own categories. Interesting. And, and what about enzymes? You kind of touched on enzymes a little bit. It seems like there's a lot of work being done, a lot of new enzymes coming to market that uh, do things like, you know, make a beer clear and, and reduce, you know, the a, a bit diacetyl of... And, and, yeah, diacetyl and, yeah, Yeah. And uh, yeah, enzymes are another area where we're going to see a lot of uh, products because they can they can answer very specific mm-hmm. needs, especially for the commercial brewer where you're trying to get the best efficiency, get the best um, throughput of your of your product, you know, from mm-hmm. your system. Do you think we'll see that for homebrewers more and more? You think? I th- I you think so. Little, little... I think you'll see ALDC. I'm pretty sure it's of all already available um, to reduce diacetyl, mm-hmm. reduce hop creep, um, diacetyl, and um, uh, other things, Bruce Clarex, um, and other enzymes that can, and beta-glucanases are another, um, especially when it comes to gluten-free brewing, where you actually need diastatic enzymes and the uh, gluconases to mm-hmm. help uh, convert those mashes because the gel- gelatinization temperature is higher than the uh, alpha amylase uh, temperature uh, range. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a great time to be a brewer. I think <laughs> really has you know kind of come full circle from you know it was a simple thing that you did for for fun. Ruth, mm-hmm. you know, became quite technical and, you know, larger. And then I think that spawned a lot of people to set, to open up craft breweries. And then it's kind of come back to, no, we're just having fun. We're just enjoying it and, and trying different things. And, 
you know, the, the new technology is cool too. It, it, it makes brewing more fun and easier uh, to get a quality result. So um, very cool. Yeah, it's been really interesting just seeing how things uh, shift and move with not only just time, but, you know, different generations and what their uh, preferences and, uh, and, and needs out of a hobby or wants out of a hobby uh, are. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, people would come to us and say, what, what do I need to, uh, of your stuff to make beer? And I'm like, well, you really just need a plastic bucket and some malt extract and you can make beer it's like what do you want out of the hobby mm -hmm. and uh you know and and from there it's you know uh listen to brew strong and uh read how to brew and a lot of that can answer their questions about how involved do i want to be they'll either eat that stuff up mm -hmm. and you know wow that's just the you know the fun part of the hobby is the the technical part mm -hmm. or they'll just say no i'm not really interested in that i'm just going to stay in chapter one um, I just like the cooking part of, of the mm -hmm. beer, you know, and, and both of those are okay. And it's interesting just to see how it, it just changes so much, uh, over the, the time we've been brewing. It is, it is a great hobby and, uh, it's brought me a lot of great friends like you two guys. Uh, really enjoyed, uh, spending the time. Thanks for, for doing the show. Uh, I think it was quite interesting. I think people are going to get a, get a lot out of it. Uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, make sure to check out our fine sponsor, Blickman Engineering. You check them out at BlickmanEngineering.com. And if you could do me a favor, send a nice email to, the, to this man here, John Blickman. Uh, you can send it to feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. And just tell him how much you appreciate that he has paid for the show. So you can listen to it for free over the last... Oh man, it's coming up like 17 years, something like that. I don't yeah. know. It's been a long time. And uh, it really has made a difference in, in a lot of people's uh, brewing careers. So uh, much appreciated. Check out the Blickman Engineering site. You can also ask for Blickman products at all your fine uh, homebrew shops. Uh, if they don't have it, they can get it. Uh, so uh, check them out. Uh, until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong. Brew on, brew strong. Oh.